Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Anthony Green from Circus Survive, Seosin, and The Sound of Animals Fighting. My history with Anthony goes back to the early days of Circus Survive and working alongside him at Equal Vision Records for the Juturna and On Lenny Go album releases. As the years passed, we stayed in touch and would see each other as you do when a band rolls through town. Anthony was always super into what I was doing with Wash Up Emo, and we'd check in when I'd post something about the promise ring or braid. Anthony came on an amazing time for punk rock and rode the wave as Circus Survive to heights not afforded many and still could play anywhere in the world for solo material or with Circus Survive. In the hour we chatted, we got to catch up about his thoughts on emo, sneaking up on stage to ask Thursday who we didn't know about joining a certain band, how he forced Circus Survive to a fused TV event for a girl that really just wanted Panic at the Disco, and where he is now, and what he said to himself 10 years ago. His solo album, Would You Still Be In Love, is out now, and he's touring on the 10th anniversary of Avalon, his debut LP. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash washedupemo for the more you do, the more podcasting I can do. This is episode 132 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Anthony Green. Siren Records in Doylestown was like the hub. It was where like you, everybody that worked there was super personable, and they would give you great recommendations on music that you liked. And there was all like every there was people that were like into underground hip hop there. There were people that were into like death metal. It was really cool. When did you know that music was like that was it? I never really thought it was it. It was just it always felt like a good place to be. Was it in the house growing up? It was in the house a lot. It was in the car. I remember it in the car more than it being in the house. Um, and it was always, it always was like this sort of like side dish to everything. You know, it was always around making things good. You know, there would be times where I remember, you know, listening to music, listening to James Taylor in the car with my dad, listening to my dad sing along to like Sweet Baby James and feeling like, uh, vulnerability from him that I, like I never got, you know, any other way from him, you know, and I can I, I feel like, you know, it 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 always was it, you know, I I just like didn't realize it for a long time. 
And then punk rock. When did that enter? My brother Mike, uh, who got me into like Metallica and stuff like that. How um, did he do that? Did he like get in? He here? just had it, and I and he was my brother. He was in my house, and like I would go in and borrow his stuff, and I would go through his stuff. Of course you did. You know, like I would go through all of his <laughs> shit, looking for like whatever, like uh, firecrackers or like you know, whatever. And I, I would borrow his records and listen to his records. I wanted to be like them. You know, my brothers all had like different types of music. And I remember, you know, listening to like Minor Threat and Fugazi because of him. And that was really the thing that blew my mind so much because uh, there was, I felt like I could do it. I felt like it was, wasn't something that like, you listen to like Metallica as a young kid and that just seems like this like this huge thing like this castle that you could never climb yeah and I remember hearing Minor Threat and being like holy shit I could totally like this feels close to me you know what I mean and it was angry and it was you know it felt young I remember uh, the first show I went to was at the Trihampton YMCA and it was because uh, these kids that would hang out at this movie theater like in our town like we all would go to this movie theater and like either go see a movie or just walk around and these kids that were like in bands were like you know hanging out there and they would be like walking to this community center where there would be like shows and that's how i first like discovered it and then i just got my parents to drop me off how old were you i was like 14 15 years old wow my parents i had older brothers and and by and uh, there was like a a decade or so gap between me and my closest brother and so by the time my parents were a little bit older and a little bit more trusting when i was like you know uh and i would say hey i'm going to meet up with whomever and we're going to the ymca and there's a there's a concert there and they're like, oh, okay whatever you know my parents didn't care they dropped me off and i'd figure it out and uh there was a really healthy local scene in you know the suburbs of of pencil of philadelphia you know they were like the starting line kind of like kenny from the starting line was in a uh, was in a i, I don't even want to say the name of the band because i don't want to like blow him out but there was a, the name of his band was called sly winkle and they were so good <laughs> and they were like pop punk but they were like they were great it was they either were, a ska or a called? punk band sly winkle is a ska band or a it punk was band. the name of the <laughs> band manager from california dreaming Oh yeah, wow! What a reference! Uh, but uh, <laughs> everyone's looking on the internet right now for California <laughs> dreams. <laughs> but it was so it, it was so good. It wasn't just pop punk. It was like melodic. It was cool. And I remember um, seeing like uh, Big Wig come through there all the time, and uh, like lots of hardcore shows, mixed shows. You know, like Stretch Armstrong would play, and This Day Forward would play, and then there would be like you know, like a you know like a like an indie rock band opening. You know, like it was cool. It was really, it seemed healthy and contained and easy to like not be like a part of. I never felt like a part of it, but I felt like I could like, I felt like a really, I felt like a, a, a fan and I was like proud to be a fan of like stuff like that. I can remember just talking to people, like like just walking over and being like, I like your jacket to somebody and then being friends with them after that you know or like walking over and finding somebody that was like selling merch or like at uh, at the table where they were like selling merch at the table there where they were like making like like selling their patches or whatever and shit like that and just talking to people you know and it was like you felt 
you knew you were going to see them at the next thing that they had going on in a month at St. Ephraim's or, you know, uh, uh, you know, at the Stalag or something. And for me, as a kid, it was hard for me to get to Philadelphia. My parents were, like, very strict in that way where it was, like, they were, they were a little bit um, conservative and it was, like, I had to lie to go to the city all the time. And then it was, like, I was hanging out with Colin or I was hanging out with their friends who could go out till – one in the morning and I had to be home at like 1130 or something. And it was like always a thing. (laughs) My parents would be asleep. So it was like, I knew I could come home whenever I wanted to, but they would be like, wake us up when you get home. And it was like this nightmare where it was like, all right, what my mom would wake up. Like when you, you kind of be like, Rose, Hey mom. And she would, and she would gasp and leap out of bed and be like, uh, you know, maybe she would notice what time it was, but I usually wouldn't wake them up and be like, I woke you up. What's wrong with you? You drank your fucking codeine tonight. <laughs> she say that. More frosted flakes. Yeah. I know, I like, her cough medicine. Her bedtime cough medicine. <laughs> and then playing in bands. My, my dad got me a guitar cause I like pestered him about it, pestered him about it. And one day on a vacation, um, this guy who like was like a, in a band that played at this bar that we were like staying above had a guitar that was just sitting there cause they played every other night. And he was like, Hey, you can take this up to the room and play with it. And I went up and played with it for like three days and was just like, this is so cool. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like just finding what sounded cool on a guitar by myself, you know? Uh, and it was like, I just remember wanting to do that and feeling like I could escape into something like that. I remember being a little kid and playing piano at like my uncle's house and just playing, making stuff up and hearing like my drunk aunt be like this, that was really pretty, whatever you were doing and being like, I like, I like that. I like that you thought that was pretty. I like being able to make something pretty for you, you know, but fast forward back to where we were talking about, um, you know, being in high school, meeting kids that had bands and seeing punk music like materialize in front of me just with people that had like the, like the, you know, whatever the, the, the instrument, <laughs> you know, and they had the wherewithal to just make noise and had that confidence. I threw myself into it like a dance where I was like, all right, I got a guitar, I got an amp. Who do I know that can start a band? Who do I know I could play with? I was like making stuff by myself where I would like play drums on a cardboard box tape record it play it uh, through another tape recorder and record through the original tape recorder me playing guitar along with that and like making my own demos like i wanted to it was like just a thing that i felt comfortable getting getting obsessed with making my i I felt like I, i saw all these people like who felt like they had this sense of identity from it and as a young person i feel like you crave that and i it was easy for me and then singing when did was there like the i think i can do this or i I can sing or i mean you can't say i'm kidding (laughs) it was it was like never a thing where like i could sing it was like we were had band practice one day and like nobody would do it that's always it and i was like i'm down to do it like i'm down to do i don't (laughs) i don't feel stupid doing it yeah i already felt so stupid just existing in the world like it was like it was like throwing yourself into the dance it was like of course, like I'm already fucking, you know, try, yeah, I'm already just trying to emulate page. Jimi Hendrix, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to, I'll sing, I'll sing, you know, I remember jamming with kids in like 
you know, early, like, like seventh, eighth grade that I was friends with on, like, trying to play Jimi Hendrix songs, and I, like, I couldn't play, like, you know, like, I couldn't play the, his parts on guitar, and I couldn't really even play the rhythm, so I was just... We could of, barely play Hey Joe in my high school band. <laughs> I was just kind of faking that, you know, like... But the singing part, that was when it, you just said, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and it was screaming. So it was like, originally, it was just like, yeah, I'm just like kind of screaming and emoting. And, you know, every once in a while, there'd be like kind of a melodic thing. But um, it, it didn't feel like I was like trying to like be, you know, technical or like singing like pretty. It was uh, just a thing that happened once in a while in a song. But like, oh, yeah, that's like a pretty part that makes all the dissonant parts stick out more. And it kind of evolved from there. I remember listening to Promise Ring, getting really into Promise Ring, like really into them, and Braid. And the melodies, you know, uh, you know, the, the, like Bob Nana would write, they were just like so incredible. They're all over the place, too. Yeah, they're very, there's like R&B shit happening in that. And, uh, um, and the, you know, early Braid was like very dissident, too, and they had like yelling, screaming shit. And like being a part of, wa- just watching that, evolve and seeing like them go from like a heavier band because like you know first thing i got into them was like a seven inch that was nothing feels good and the other side or i'm afraid of everything and on the other side of i can't remember what the song was it was kind of like heavier song there was some like it was it was a little heavy you know and i seeing them evolve into like a more melodic more like rock whatever indie you want to call it like watching that and the the recordings change you know being like oh my god this sounds like so much better than oh yeah you know and and seeing that evolution was like it gave me confidence like it gave me this weird confidence of being like dude i i i could totally you know as long as it you have the right feeling of the song it really doesn't matter you know uh that'll come through and the artwork too yeah. Was such like, I mean, Jason's stuff for them through the years has been like iconic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, for me, it's, it's super noticeable. Like I, I, when I'm flipping through like seven inches, any, anytime I'm always looking for that stuff. Cause it was what caught my eye back then. I'm always looking for like the lifetime, like Jade tree, like that one, uh, seven inch. that was like somewhere in the swamps of Jersey that had like no sleeve. I always looking for that. Um, it was like a pro, it was like a split with um, Texas is the reason and uh, Lifetime or something or no it was a that was a, something else see it's hard for me to remember all see this that's stuff the problem like that. with this podcast the years go by you just forget it's Man, okay my brain it's, like, it's my brain scatters it's, things it's like accepted. that too yeah thank you I have I feel extremely accepted for my scattered brainness by like the people that are like like support whatever we're doing you know like i'll i'll tweet out something you know like fucking with the worst i'll like i'll tweet out something with autocorrect and awful shit and like people are just very forgiving they're like yeah well he's fucked up (laughs) (laughs) you know like (laughs) don't make him feel bad (laughs) it's it's i don't know it's kind of nice the uh i mean were there other emo bands i mean it was funny i was just looking at a photo of us from uh the saves the day show um, the one at the oh my god dude that was so much fun that day but the funny part about this was at PNC Bank the big shed yeah. you were with Sales and mm-hmm. but the funny part was you're all, you're backstage and Saves the Day wasn't playing every show mm-hmm. and they were playing that one and I just remember you being like who's going out there to see him and everyone just kind of like eats their catering or whatever and it was you Chris Chris Caraba mm-hmm. and I and you just like dart to the stage but the yeah. funniest part was the girls. <laughs> 
you're just like clamoring to get a photo and all you're doing is singing back <laughs> saves the day lyrics that's happening live and wow. telling them to watch the band you're like i'll do that later you know i'll walk you home you know <laughs> it was really funny i some of my some of my great my like greatest memories are losing myself in the crowd and singing to like saves the day and um I could just tell you, even just like, in the you, car, you almost turned off Anthony Green, the band, yeah. and per- it just went in. And I thought that was a cool. I don't know if I can. T- I don't know if it's ever something that's turned off or turned on in that way. But there's times where, like, I'll engage in the dance of what Anthony Green type of thing is to the people who want that at the moment. Um, you know. I identify myself as something like way more than that. Like I understand that that's like my name and everything like that, but it feels like it becomes this thing where it also becomes this like uh, expectation for people sometimes. And it's never about like being turned off or being turned on, but there's like a level of like compassion and understanding I have toward like engagement in it. And at a show and certain times where, like, people are like, oh, my gosh, about something about the music, like, I can engage in that in a completely compassionate way where I'm, like, n- um, I'm not self-obsessed. Yeah. And there's other times where there's, like, I I don't want to engage in that. And I don't – and it's, like, hard for me uh, mental health-wise to engage in it. And I need to shut off from it. And it's usually when I'm totally shut off from it, you know, mm-hmm. and I've – pretty decent time balancing but when you're trying to do that stuff and you know like that situation to me i was never bummed out by that it was just like it was just like yeah it was just funny you know if you can't like just laugh at fucking shit like that then it's like and maybe one of them got into saves today exactly they saw you being so stoked or they were you know yeah or it just yeah yeah or the moment just happened for everyone in a perfect way you know what i mean like i feel like the the more you become obsessed with the more i become obsessed with like how i i'm feeling in a negative way the more it's like it just gets out, it gets out of control so it's like if i start resenting her for wanting to take a picture with me it's like fuck that that's stupid yeah you no know, it like, was more of like a funny back and forth of like yeah watch the band no it's really yeah. cool like it yeah. was more of like i was actually together. stoked that there was a picture of us going so ham so I could show Chris later because uh, <laughs> after that I walked backstage and uh, he was like, "Hey, I gotta go say goodbye to my mom and dad. Do you want to come with me?" And I was like, "No, I don't want to go with you." <laughs> and then later I went back and I saw him and he's like, "It's so hot." And he's like in a sweatshirt and a hat and he's got these sunglasses on and I have this little ruckus scooter that like was just on the tour and I grabbed it and I rolled up to him on it. And I just grabbed him and put him on it and just rolled him around the amphitheater for like 15 minutes talking about like catching up with him. I'm like, we can't talk back here. <laughs> and got him on there and it was like, how's life? What did you guys everyone? talk about? Life? Uh, we talked, I just, yeah, I got, I was just like, how is everything? How is it? You know, and he said everything was great and we caught up and, um, I think he told. I think he said something to me that I couldn't remember at the time, but I was like, "Yo, this is that's the craziest thing I've heard from anybody in a long time." And I googled it later, and it was like a Kanye West lyric. <laughs> he told me he was like on an ultra light beam, and I was like, "Whoa!" Or something that's right like up that. your alley. And I was like, "Dude, you just blew my mind." I don't know what that is, but I, I'm like, I feel like I want to be there too. <laughs> And then I googled whatever he said, and I was like, I was like, oh, I was like ultra light beam, like that is the coolest shit. 
Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Again, my brain scrambles memories. That all might not have happened. No, it did. None of it, it could. Could have. <laughs> it's scrambled eggs up there. <laughs> what about the, the, you know, the word emo? What about the scene? Like, what, a lot of those bands, you know, yeah. that was the prime time. We're close mm-hmm. in age. Mm-hmm. Like, those bands were coming up. Like, what about it did you like? The, the coolest thing about emo to me and the most appealing thing about it was that it wasn't like I it wasn't one thing it wasn't like this macho hardcore thing and it wasn't like this like uh, you know an unattainable thing it was like a normal person like it was like you didn't have to get dressed up like and have pins in your hair and piercings and tattoos even hardcore you had to that felt like you had to be there was no fashion to it it was like some people just like I went to a private all boys Catholic high school and my dress code was pretty much like like these pants and like it's pretty much what I wear all the time and like a button up shirt and like I would just like take the button up I would I, I didn't I didn't feel like I had to dress up to be into what I liked and whether it was like coalesce or whether it was like uh you know the promise ring or like piebald or something it wasn't like a a singular thing it was about being it was about being yourself it felt like Mm -hmm. you know and uh i really liked that i really liked that there wasn't in my mind it wasn't like emo was this it was like it was everything it was everything it was like everything that emoted you know it was like you heard a band like uh like haven you know who would like they would be heavy as fuck and brutal but then it would have this like beautiful part in the middle that was like it was anthemic you know and i remember that breaking through to me and having it this contrast of like this dissonance and consonance and i loved that about it you know the fact that you could be like you know uh like uh it was like pretty and brutal at the same time i was always it, it, it could break at any moment yeah that feeling yeah like I liked the idea that like you you didn't you know I loved punk rock but I I didn't I I didn't love the whole like elitists you know you had to dress the part idea of it and I uh, wasn't into fashion and all my mom picked my clothes off for me I was a husky kid so I was like I liked the fact that I could just be wearing like a t-shirt and like slacks and like my chucks or vans and it was like that was cool (laughs) you know i didn't feel out of place no one ever made you feel out of place at those shows like i as a kid that was not like uh i wasn't shy you know it was easy for me to like go and make friends at those places because it was just filled with other people who wanted to be around music wanted to be around other weirdos art you know um yeah and then do you think i mean post bleed american you know those years especially into the mid 2000s mm-hmm. what kind of what changed as you were in it as a band i've asked a lot of bands this that sort of you had seen it before like kenny when i talked about it with him or i talked about it with buddy from senses fail like that before and then this sort of apex moment where everyone's paying attention and then the after did you feel did you feel anything while making music through those years that things were changing when Bleed American came out, I was, like, in bands and stuff, but not really. Like, I was at home, like, I was trying, I would, I had music as this thing that I would love to do, but, like, I was, remember hearing Thursday, I remember hearing Full Collapse and being like, this fucking band is going to be huge. Like, this, I want to hear this song over and over again. And I knew the band, I knew of them, and I saw them play with This Day Forward, and 
I'd seen them play a couple times and they were amazing, but it was like this was something else. I remember hearing that. I remember hearing that first song off Bleed American and and not thinking like this band's going to be huge, but just feeling like so grateful that I had it, that I could listen to it in my car, that it was a part of my life, you know. So I didn't I wasn't I wasn't concerned with the music scene in that way. Like it was just I was a part of it in that way where I felt like I I had understanding in a car crash. I listened to it over and over. I listened to the whole full collapse over and over. I remember buying it on CD and then having to drive to my friend's house to go make the tape and and like sitting there and making the tape and then and and going out of my way so I could listen to it and then just listening to it over and over and over again and um, same thing with like in, uh, the first Coheed record, like just that was a part of my life. I was when I moved to join Seos, and that stuff was already happening. <clears throat> I didn't when I got to California. I didn't know that sc- screamo and and emo and hardcore had blended into this thing out there. What was that like? Oh, f- was that oh it was three? Like, oh, it oh, three or four? Oh, oh, four or something. And and uh, you know, Coheed was already kind of like they had they were blowing up in like the, the, our world in a way where it was like, whoa. And Thursday was already like on MTV and yeah. shit. And it was like, um, <clears throat> I moved to California just because, you know, I was like, this band wanted me to be in the band. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I, I didn't want to be home anymore. I was, you know, going to go in through all this weird stuff in my twenties. And I was like, I'm out of here. I can't fucking do this. I felt like I was under my parents thumb, you know, and I needed to get out of there and feel like I was not, I was going to make my own thing and I could start over. And when I got out there, I was just, I just jumped into it. Like it wasn't like I, I don't know how all those other guys feel about it, but I, I don't never felt like attached to it in a way where it was like mine or I was a part of it. I was just like a witnessing it. And then I got to like, hop in at a time where it was like taking off it was yeah it was taking off and then and uh you know that was that when you were meeting bands like did you feel like you had known it you know it gets like when they wouldn't know or they yeah fucking shit there's a funny story i didn't even think about this is a funny story (laughs) (laughs) it better be a funny story speak into the mic uh so (laughs) my uh so meredith's uncle had um a friend that was playing in the Mighty Mighty Boston's had been in a band called Spring Hill Jack. Um, a good dude, uh, uh, my my kind of cousin through her, Ronnie Wagona, uh, sings for that band and was like a singer in that band and was like in the ska band scene back in the day. Still plays music now, is an awesome dude. And uh, he had like a, they had a mutual friend. It was, uh, Meredith's aunt was um, her, Ronnie's brother, Ronnie's sister. And she got us into that warp tour with her uncle because they knew the, the trumpet player for the Boston's. And they were like, hey, we're going to go to this warp tour. You should come see the Boston's what, with us. What year was that? I fucking have no idea. But I had never gone to a warp tour before, ever. And How um, old were you? <clears throat> I was like probably 18 or 19 or something like that. Okay. I might have been like 19. I was like, I just didn't go to Warp Tour. I just, it was like never a thing I went to. I, I not for any other reason other than it's just like I just never, I just never did it. I, I, I kind, I'm not saying I like only went to local shows or whatever like that. I just feel like that's probably what, what it was. And 
So you went so to I Warped. went and Thursday was playing. And I had, hadn't seen them in years. And um, I hadn't seen them play in years. And they were already this massive band. They were playing to all these people. And I remember sneaking up on the side of the stage. I don't know how I got up there. But I was backstage and sneaking up and watching them play from the side of the stage and being like, this is fucking crazy. And watch sitting right behind Tucker. And after the show, I went up to Tucker and Tom. And I was like, hey, listen. <laughs> I know you don't know me. You know my friends in this day forward. I got asked to join this band from these dudes that are in open hand. That were in open hand. That live in California, and I don't know what the deal is. And I like kind of part of me wants to do it. I don't know. I know you guys toured with them, and you know them. What's the deal? Should I do it? And they were like, "What?" <laughs> they were so nice to me, but they were like, "Yeah, they were really nice guys, and they were really nice guys, and they were like super nice to me." But I could, I could, I, I you could tell. I could tell because especially now. You know, from just having conversations with people who are nervous, you know. Um, and I remember looking at Tucker and being like, this is the handsomest. They, Tucker and Tom, I remember talking to both of them and being like, these are the handsomest dudes I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, Tucker ever. still looks great. He is, dude. Just saw him a couple weeks he ago at Jimmy like World. He is a fine wine. He's like a fine I'm going to see him wine. next Thursday. He's beautiful. They're opening up the Racket Club Get Up Kids show, yeah. his band. Dude, his new band's awesome. And beautiful, he, and he's beautiful. He's such a handsome man, and uh, I'm so lucky to 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 uh, have uh, to be friends with. with so the it was funny days. that you noticed there was but some I, hesitation. I just I wanted to I wanted to talk to them, you know, and I I that's probably what it was. I just like I was like wanted to go be. I just they just got off stage too, so it was like this punishing kid. And I I think I might have asked them later on if they remember. I would be remiss if they actually did, you know. Um, but I definitely I have the, I have the memory of just like Tucker like kneeling down doing shit like breaking down and being like hi uh hi. and um yeah and I I remember I remember feeling like they were really cool about it like I didn't feel like they were like sh- they were not shitty to me at all they a hundred percent could have been yeah but um. I was like nervous to talk to them. I mean, they were definitely a band that when I was walking around was my first job in the industry. They were like, you know, that Thursday band, like what other bands? And it just started being like, why are the A&R people bugging me? Yeah. Shouldn't they know what's going on? And then I slowly realized that it was like this feeding frenzy. Yeah. From a scene that I thought was sort of this. What was it like for you as a person? Because you were actually in the in. Like I was just like this player. I was like a pawn, you know, just floating around, like just trying to sing for people. Like I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel attached. I didn't have the. It wasn't like a. It wasn't a part of me in that way. I was like more of a part of it. You know, it must have been weird for you to see this thing that you had like almost cultivated part partly, and then to see it like kind of become something that was hard to control. Like, it must have been a difficult. It thing. just got weird when other people were talking about it and not referencing the full history. Like just being like, emo started in two thousand seven. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And I think that was the part. I mean, 2001, the A&R guy actually just, I went through my Jimmy Eat World discography yeah. last night to make sure I had everything in iTunes and like metadata and stuff. And I remembered I had the the demo tape. Oh, I saw American. that. I saw that. Yeah. But yeah. that, the A&R guy just goes, oh, you, you, you yeah. like this band, check this out. And I listened to it. I was like, there's five singles on this. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap! Holy shit, dude. The the, the this I remember. You know the you know you know the song. Uh, um, are you listen, sweetness? Yeah. I heard that they posted that 
on their website way a, before a year and a half, two years. That was their set American closer. Yes. At, okay, so they played a clarity show at in Philadelphia at the Unitarian Church. Unitarian Church is where they played clar- their clarity show. Okay, that was like how long ago it was. Like it was like on clarity, and I'm pretty sure that slowly they came back. Of course, out and they yeah. Played that. And it was like, and then they put it on their website in this crazy different version, slightly faster. Lyrics were tweaked in one or two different ways. I have both, if anyone wants it. Dude, you might have to send me that original <laughs> version, because I have never been able It was like Napster days. I was just listening to it yesterday. I'll send it to you. Um, and, oh, man, I remember listening to that so over and over again, just becoming obsessed with it. I mean, that was, I mean, it was like one of the ones to make it out, and then... Not when you heard the record version, you're just like, oh my god, this is so fucking crazy. And huge. Yeah. But to think that like that happened where the middle and all those things, mm-hmm. and then I started getting all these calls and people being like, what shows are you going to? Yeah. And people wanting to know where what band I was going to yeah. go check out. And then it got really weird. Yeah. Like the president just pointing at bands on the CMJ chart and being yeah. like, is this one? Yeah. Is this? I'm like, what? <laughs> but then it, just, it was this feeding frenzy. Yeah. But it, then don't you just, imagine that's what happens culturally, like with everything, like especially with this, like whatever you want to call it, industry with music, like every few years, there's something I mean, like think that. Think of that same time in New York. Yeah. The Strokes. Yeah. Interpol. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah, so, and then yeah. every dude looks the same way. Boom. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's what's going to happen in any market that's set up like that. That's why what's so endearing about a lot of this is that it also creates this kind of counterculture of people who are like, hey, we can make a sustainable living at this. Do it our way. Do it a way that serves us in a creative way. I would, I you know, might I say, spiritual way, and we can do it sustainably, and we can do it and not feel like we're trying to sell a fucking product. That we can be like a part of a community that takes care of itself. And that's what I feel like. That is what's going on. That's what I feel like I've been trying to build around what uh, things that I do in the way of like if this you know trying to be sustainable without without being without uh without doing anything you just don't really feel connected to well that was my next question about circa because i found that really interesting in that i remember if you remember i accidentally made the marketing sticker have it made it look like a hardcore record because i didn't know in any other way to promote you guys because no that was a thing that was my fault okay i remember nick yelling at me for putting taken so large on the sticker and i go what else am i supposed to do but that but the my, my reason of saying that is the marketing of it, you guys transitioned from that and stayed. And I think what happened with a lot of bands around you was that they went like this and tried to hit it instead of this, let me cultivate, let me have this first record and learn this, let me have the second record and learn this. And now you've got this sustainable thing. And I think that's what people forgot. Tell you what, guy who really taught me a lot about that in early Circa times and... We had we've had a relationship that's been going up and down over the years, and we don't really talk that much. But a guy named Brian Schechter, who managed My Chemical Romance, um, came into Circa's career early on, and there was a lot of information coming at us at the time. And there was some things about the slow build and the control. And this dude could have done X, Y, and Z with the band, and really, really liked the idea that we wanted to do it a specific way and really 
made me feel confident in a way that nobody else it, that I'd worked with in any capacity at the time made me feel as an artist like, hey, if you have this intuition, you need to follow it. You need, that is what and, – and if it means that you're going to make less money, so be it. Because that is what's going to make you happier in the long run. And that dude installed that in me. And I don't know whether he was like a, he was a, a guru for, the, for me at that at the time. I don't know whether that was something he personally took in his life. Um, and I don't know uh, where it came from, but I always remember him being very adamant about that. There were things that came up with the band that we said no to that he was very okay with because he was, he was like, yo, You'll be fine. You just got to do what's right for your band. You know what's really interesting about that? I remember being at the office, mm-hmm. and we'd be in a meeting with Dan and Greg and all these people. Yeah. Paul, we're all sitting here talking about you guys and your that yeah. first record. And I remember Dan being like, hey, mm. talk to Anthony or talk to Brian, talk to Colin, Brandon. It's, uh, they're no on this, no on this. <laughs> and what those no's were yeah. were things that all the bands were doing at the time. And I'm not yeah. saying you said no to everything, yeah. but... I took that as this band listened, yeah. they looked at everything, and said yes or no. Instead of just saying, yes, 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 make me a deep ring down to my navel, make it yeah. neon. Like It was like, no, I want this shirt, I want it this way, I want... And I think that was It's why. so tough. It's really tough. Because, but early on to yeah. think that. Well, you know, you say, you bring up Equal Vision, and like the, those guys like Dan, Greg, Glenn, you, that, that was something also that I just felt like I came in on like you guys had this relationship with this day forward that was so already a thing and I've always felt like so fucking weird why I don't know like I just always felt like I was like didn't like I was like trying I felt like I wanted I needed to do good by everyone there and it was like not them Dan you guys were the shit you were awesome but I also looked at you as like this cool kids that were just letting me be part of their club and I was like wanted to do good by you and as like a hyperactive like insecure fucking dummy you know I probably manifested itself in weird ways you know um, and I can I, I'm cool with that now but man I got so lucky with you I got so lucky with Equal Vision. Like, and I was such a fan. You talk about Saves the Day. Like, I still oh have this sampler. Right? You know, with like Strider on it. And, you know, what's funny is like you were, you're talking about emo. Like, I have a different perspective on it. Because when I went to, I did emo night in, um, in Las Vegas. And I don't, I don't know, the Brooklyn Bowl one. And it was a nightmare for me. Because I went out and I had this playlist that it started without the drive-in. And I thought I was safe with that. I thought at the drive-in was a safe thing. But I didn't know, dude. And I was getting tweeted at people. And luckily I had, you know, friends on my crew. And, like, you know, my tour manager, Jeff, at the time was, like, came out and, like, really helped me. Like, it was playing, you know, Jimmy World and awesome shit. And, uh, like, saved the day pretty much. Um, But, like, I, people were like, yo, you had to open with Fallout Boy. And you had to open with Panic at the Disco, and it, I, both of those bands are incredible, and I love them. But it was like when I was when I was thinking about it, I was like, shit, I almost opened with like fucking with like Piebald, you know what I mean? Like or like I, you know, I I, w- I was like completely off, like you know, I I would have opened with Icarus Line, you know what I mean? Like if it was up to me, you know, but it was uh, or Appleseed Cast or something. But like that's that. the thing. Do you think there's a certain fan base that was only into? that for a few years and that's it i think it just grew you know it just grew like so there's a certain grows. group and of those... fans that will that's just what happens at mass yeah maybe 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 that's what it is but know? i totally get when you sat there and you were like they think... just identified to do something else like for them their panic at the disco and fallout boy and my chem whatever that was just my 
whatever lifetime or, or whatever Metallica or whatever it was. It's, it's that thing. And you, you have as an artist and as a just human being, like you want to be a part of a community, you have to look at the things like that as a, and welcome that. But owning the word or owning that that's only, only what it is, is it. hard. You can't be attached to it. And like, so I, for me, I was never attached to it. And I always saw it as this versatile thing. So when it changed into this, like more of a mainstream, whatever you want to call it thing, it became, it was good for me. It, like I couldn't deny it. It was, my bands were getting bigger because people were, because these bands that were, you know, saying or doing that, carrying that flagship, they were, they were making it easier for me to 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 get my weird music accepted by people. That music is heavily drenched in just emotive. Uh, sometimes people want to call it depressing. I mean, sometimes it's definitely a perfect storm. Yeah, to have Fuse and MTV Two. Like, I got meetings is with Fuse them. Still here? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a channel, but I don't know if they still. Mm-hmm. But to to literally a label upstate yeah. calling MTV and saying please listen to my watch my video they yeah. took my meeting yeah and Fuse was like obviously had some supporters in there but that took no, like but that was cool hey here's this video here's why and and but I <clears throat> talked to so many people I'll just randomly mention like how'd you find out about X band how'd you find out about Circa and they're like mm. Steven's Untitled Rock Show yeah you know but that totally. was like Dude, you that had Steven's the Untitled Rock Show was cool. like I never doing that that thing when we played I played. Did uh, I make you do that? I played. Oh no, the Paul. fuel thing I made you do. No, you made us do this thing when we went to this girl's house who wanted a thing who didn't know who we were. Yes, who loved that was my fault. Panic and was like and 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 uh, was like wishing that it was panic and basically got uh, got this the chair at the thing because of like Brandon Yuri sitting on this like couch. She won this couch. She was like talking to me about like Brandon Yuri was on this couch. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, um, yeah, he's handsomer than me. Anyways, <laughs> so here's a song. That you've never heard <laughs> you know, on your lawn. <laughs> you know, I have I a bunch of those saved. Week. Yeah, no, I, I, if that you'd video, like to see those, that video is cool. And what's cool is I played Miracle Sun with Brendan. Oh, right. And I didn't know that wasn't going to be a circus song yet. We really? didn't know what Circa was yet, really. So it was like I was had all these songs written that I was like, "Hey guys, let's make it like this crazy thing," and it just didn't feel right, you know. But I remember thinking like that could be a new Circa song. I remember that the band loving it. It just didn't. Maybe I didn't fit it in right. A couple of stories, and I have a few more questions. The I remember accidentally calling your mom during the Juturna se- oh session, God. and like I don't, I was like Anthony, no, this is his mother. <laughs> oh, was Anthony there? No, and it was. Like, I don't know why, but she, I had her number yeah. as your number. Yeah, uh, that was maybe before phones. I don't know. <laughs> I did. I well, I, I for a long time uh, I had my mom's cell phone. I had my mom's cell phone for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I joined Seosan, I didn't have one. You know, like I didn't have, we, you know, well, I think those guys had sidekicks. I'm not going to throw them under oh, the bus right kicks, now, dude. but they were Ames, sidekick bro. guys. Ames, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bo. Sorry, Chris. You, uh, I don't think Chris has a sidekick, but uh, I know that there were, I know that there were some sidekicks getting flipped. Also during <laughs> Juturna, did you know uh, the amount of edits I had to do for Act Appalled? <laughs> Wait, which I one? Sh- with all the, the, the girl. Video? Oh my the video. God, I remember that. I remember Dude, why was it so hard getting that video made? Like, it was crazy. Because nowadays, oh nowadays God, they play nothing. like straight up hardcore porn on MTV. And there was like, yo, we can't see a tablet go in it. Like, we were trying to like, it was, we were trying to make a video that was like against like, uh, like date rape and abuse and all this shit. And it was so difficult because we were like trying to make 
make this statement, but it was like so hard because like, and the video didn't really doesn't really come across like that. Like, and it's like the the the, the things the back from MTV great. and legal were so great. They would just yeah. be like at one twenty two. I feel bad for the director and the guys who do that because they tried so hard, and we didn't know what the fuck was going on. We were these kids, you know, yeah. and like you guys, all, all of you, and them having to do the edit and them doing the but for whatever budget Edits. they had, you know, like I'm sure the budget was, you know, was like whatever, and it was oh my five god. grand, or yeah, yeah, like oh, oh my god, even five grand for a video. You think about that now. The video I just did for Vierlin, I like, you know, um, yeah, just thinking about that. Like I, I was thinking about five grand for a video. Like shit, if we had for ten grand, yeah, oh my. And god. then also the difference between medicine and the dose. I remember I had to change. I had, they they wrote back with comments saying. Uh, when they're taking out the hoses, is there a way? Like there were some yeah, parts. Yeah, it was of too it, gross. It was too gross. It was too gross. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And I just, I dude, I remember. Okay, so the, on the difference between medicine and poison video, a little backstage, a little bloop of that video. I'm on like muscle relaxers the entire. I'm I'm so fucked up. I'm on all these pills <laughs> on that thing, uh, and I'm like so out of my mind. I had no idea, and I thought the pills were gonna help me go wild in the video. I was like, I had muscle relaxers. I had something else. I had like something else, but I took like all these downers, and I was like such a dummy about it, and <clears throat> it was reacting in a shitty way. And I think I was drinking red wine and Coca Cola mixed together with Jesse Camp, who was like, uh, a oh my PA god, Jesse Camp. Video. He was a PA there. Yeah, and uh, the, the Jesse I couldn't Camp. know, dude. I was so and the guy, the, Travis, the guy who directed that video, was so great. He was so fun, but I was like out of my mind, and I didn't know how to didn't know how to act. I was like, I'm in front of a camera. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I, this is there's no audience here. There's no, I fuck. I, I'm not good with that stuff. I, w- I, I, you know, I'm not good with it. Just like I can do certain things really good, but I thought like I could do good in the video. And when I see the video now, I'm like, this is. I look so stupid. <laughs> the video looks great, but I just I hate like the performance stuff. The in the videos are like so difficult for me. That's why I try to make jokes out of it all the time. Now you've mentioned that you know that you're going through that stuff, and you've obviously done a bunch of articles about that. And what was what do you notice now when it's a bad situation? What do you do differently? Like if, because someone listening might be like, I'm in those situations. I'm yeah. in this super hot band. We're doing warp tour. We're headlining. Yeah. All these things are coming at me. Like, how do you, how do you now understand it and do See, a different way? I don't think that. I don't know if somebody went back to young me and said, you have to try meditation and you have to deal with this thing and you have to go back. Like a lot of it, you know, I I wasn't able to really look at myself back then and deal with some of the insecurity issues that I have. Talk about feeling insecure. It was something I was trying to like mask, you know, as like a confidence. And um, I think that's a cr- an incredible burden for people to carry, like trying to think that you're something that you're not. And uh, for me, laying that all out on the line and kind of just um, emptying myself in that way ha- has made it less difficult to go through the stressors in my life now when i'm going through things i have i i I meditate a lot meditate twice a day and i find myself doing it in the midst of conversations like there's ways to do it where you can still stay engaged and just breathing um i practice different types of exercise um yoga i will sometimes do you know things like crossfit or kickboxing and i experiment with different things with my body and just feeling good um I try to eat healthy. I, tr- I eat healthy, you know. I don't drink. I don't take any type of. Uh, I don't. It's crazy do, what don't sleep, drink. eating well, and doing yeah. that does. I don't drink and smoke cigarettes. You know, I don't take like, you know, I don't do like hard drugs and any of that stuff. Like, you know, I keep my mind. I try to keep people around me that are 
that keep me balanced, you know, like I, t- I wouldn't want to, I couldn't give somebody in my position that was like me when I was doing warp tour back in 2007 or whatever i couldn't have given me advice because i was too much of a stubborn asshole thought i knew everything you know so maybe if anything if you're lost and you're in that situation that you described maybe think about that you don't know everything and take a step back at what your certainties are of your situation and maybe they're they aren't so uncertain maybe the burdens that you feel aren't something that you need to own on up up to and maybe letting go of those things are is something that um would benefit you i mean what a crazy time too i think to survive that if you if this scene was just the evr they did a few things did a few tours did the east coast run but it got this level and to think all of your peers probably had some of the same issues and to come out and still be around i mean talking to people in other bands if it's buddy or if it's the dude from hawthorne heights or they're still doing it yeah. And I think that's a testament. Two great examples of people who went through the wash, you know, and really came out on the other end and able to look at themselves and be like, hey, you know, like, um, I can't, sp- you know, Buddy is such a, uh, you know, he is an inspirational dude to me. And, uh, I, you know, he and I have had conversations just about getting clean and about, um, you know, just being honest about your feelings with the people who are supporting you and how that is such, a, is such an enormous relief um, and I, I can't really, I can't really speak. Um, I met the dude from Hawthorne Heights a bunch and he's really, really nice dude, still you know, but he has consistently been uh, a supportive dude. To well, you made it out circa. and I feel like that to get out of still being able to do it and have a career yeah. from it is it kind of I a rad that thing. People think like, you know, you see a band like go through ebb and flow of things. And I think that a lot of bands get to a point where they think that like they always have to be here. And it's like sometimes the brushstroke of your career is going to be a lighter one than the next, you know, and it's important to put out records that you want. And if that means that that's going to, you're going to take a dip or you're going to have to play smaller venues, whatever, if you're going to make, if you're going to, take that into a personal way it's going to destroy you creatively that you have to look at what you're doing and with full gratitude like if you are concentrating on gratitude and it sounds silly you know but you can never have enough of it you know and if you're looking to be popular and famous and really big all the time you're always going to be disappointed because that shit is going to happen and it won't last it'll come and go it's like a thing you just have to enjoy uh, uh, you know um, for me Creating. I just, I, just ha- I enjoy creating. I enjoy making it and performing it. And, and of course, there's moments where you're on top of the mountain where you're like, holy shit, this view is beautiful, you know? But there's also when you're looking up at it and it's beautiful still, you know? And knowing that you're not being attached to it in a way where it needs to serve you, where you look at it as your master and you're just serving it. You're and there's, and I mean, it's that never ending mountain kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you're lear- you never arrive anywhere. You're always you're in a constant, perpetual state of becoming. With the new record the, that you're doing, the solo record, mm-hmm. you know, uh, would you still be in love? Yeah. Like, is that was that what was that level or what was that next for you? That whole that whole concept, like, would you still be in love if after ten years? Would you still be in love, like, after you saw the dark side of somebody? After you, uh, you know, uh, throw up after getting super drunk and have to get your hair hold back, or, or you, or you, or you say the thing you didn't mean, or you uh, forgot the thing that you needed to remember? You know, uh, after fifteen years of being a band, after you know, uh, ten years of being a, a partner, 
after 10 years of being a, a wife, things like that. You know, the, that is something that I was just been reflecting on a lot because of these 10 year tours. And so would you still be in love just came up out of that, you know, came out of all of these relationships that like you lose over time. You know, you, I've lost, I've lost people. I've, there's new people, there's, you know, and, um, you can get obsessed and attached mm-hmm. with how that makes you feel in, 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 in one way or the other. But if you just center yourself on gratitude and just being happy for what you had and wishing the best for people, you know, then you, you're, you, then I, then I'm going to be okay. That's my goal. That's like my mantra from it. But, um, and that would you still be in love is just sort of a, is sort of a, like the chanting of that mantra. That's cool. Yeah. That's rad, man. Is there anything else you want to do? Anything you haven't done? Yeah, I mean, dreams. Sometimes I like. Sometimes I like. I think about doing voiceover stuff, and I would love to do that because I think that would be fun. I need. I've help tried with to do it. I've like did some stuff with a guy who did uh, Matt Stosky, the director of a bunch of uh, Dying to Reach You video and illustration video for Circa. He did a cool thing that I did some stuff for, but I always thought that would be cool. Um, I always like wanted to be like the like bartender who like had no lines but was just like but like like wiping a glass like in the butt behind the scenes like a like in a like a cool movie like you know like i always wanted to do cool creative like being a part of creative stuff like that um but really what i love doing is writing poetry and singing and that's what i get to do that's all i my life is centered around that you know like it it's how my family is sustained it's how I am sustained. How amazing is that? Creatively and financially. It's Colin was mentioning that. It's unreal. He was like, we have a career. We just played Terminal. I was, you know, yeah. The Terminal 5 show we hung out. I was like, yeah. we just played Terminal 5. I get to do this. And I go home and then we go this. It's Man. almost like you've got this cycle and movement. And people are going to show up. Like last night at La Poisson Rouge. Like yeah. just... I was really I was surprised I was surprised the show was sold out last night uh, just because we've done lots of shows in New York City and uh, um, New York's always really really fun it's always I remember playing a circus show at the knitting factory and I, I always remember this snapshot of the room because it seemed like the whole room was like an actual wave like a fluid wave like of just like people just going out of their minds in unison um but last night was something really special, you know, being up there with my buddies, some of them I've known since high school, and playing some of those songs that have been a part I mean, of Avalon my life. was 10 years. I, when I got the email, mm-hmm. I was like, that's not 10. That's a, it, oh, it is. <laughs> yes. It doesn't feel like it. I mean, that's something that old people say, but it doesn't feel like it to me. <laughs> We're old. It's okay. You can forget. I like it. I mean, I don't, like, when people, like, I've been asked the question, like, do you feel old? And I'm like, yeah. But I like it. Like, I don't feel, like, limited by it. Like, I don't feel like some old crotchety man. Like, I have more energy now than I ever did because I was getting fucked up when I was in my 20s, you know? And I, you know, you know, now that you're not getting fucked up all the time, you get people take you slightly more seriously. And I'm able to do more things now and that make me happy. And, you know, like, I feel I'm really proud of being father. You know, I'm really proud of, like, my boys, I feel like if I was to get hit by a bus tomorrow, my boys would 100% be all able to say that they like had so much love and attention from their dad, you know, and that is like my end goal. Like all this stuff is fun and it's great and this is my my day to do stuff, but like I feel like that is my that is like my 
my ultimate, my paramount, you know? And I know that. I know that without a doubt. Like I, and now I know that. I, I'm able to confidently say that I like, am engaged and present for them. And that's like, that's everything to me, you know? So it's like, it, gratitude is a huge part of what keeps me going through all this shit. It's weird to say that I say that, but I'm also like two and a half hours away from them, and I can't see them tonight because I. Have I was to go about to, to say, I figured you have to go to Boston. That yeah. sucks. it's a weird thing because I literally, I like talking about being present for them, giving them attention. Like I have, like literally, just today, like going through this like whole set of emotions of like not like saying goodbye to them and having to go through this oh. every tour. It's like this thing. You know, um, but I've like embraced it as part of a thing that like That's cool. eventually it the the pain of longing wears down into like a uh, like a, you're grateful for it, and you're like, man, longing is a beautiful agony. Yeah. Did you have fun? I did. I'm man. so glad we got to do this. This was uh, I'm not. This was great. I'm not great at this stuff, and I. I hope you're comfortable with me. We've known I, each other for long. I am enough. so comfortable with you. <laughs> I, I just did one of these with um, the guy from Silverstein, Shane, and it was really cool. And it was on the phone, and it was really he's great. I drank a cappuccino. I drank a, a espresso right before I did it, and so I was like, yeah, 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 even more than I was today. But um, I really like this. I love talking to you, and we hardly ever get a chance to talk. That's about what I know. It was like an yeah. excuse. Can we just it, can we schedule an hour let's just do, to do let's like do, next time you're back in town? Let's, let's do one where we just go. Let's schedule a whole just dinner where we can just sit down and we can do it outside. We could do, we could just have a couple mics set up. Yeah, done. I love this. Okay, cool. I'm so it. glad you I need got to, to listen to podcasts. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to podcasts either. I be <laughs> That's honest. crazy. You're a podcast I, guy. <laughs> for seven years, I don't listen to them. I listen to like once in a while, Colin will send me something about like mushrooms or something yeah. weird or like <laughs> Bitcoin. I'll be like, this is cool. <laughs> but like, I, I don't really listen to, I don't really, I listen to music. Like, Well, I just want to say I love that we've gotten to stay in touch. Yeah, me too. I'm editing all those out. Oh, uh, yeah, you're all uh, good. We got in touch that we're able to. You Dude, know, you should do like one cut. I want to help you. You should do this special one cut where you just don't edit anything. You just go. Oh my god! You're gonna have to because I went on like 15 minute rants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other funny thing about you being in Atlantic, and we have to leave. You have to. You have to leave yeah, in two minutes. Yeah. Dude, it's not. This building just intimidates me. You know, if anything, I don't have any beef with Atlantic at all. If anything, it's just that like. I couldn't keep up with them. I, I felt like I was a kid. I wanted to do right by them. I wanted to do right by my it band. Now, it'd be different. Probably thing. Everything I do now is different because of That's like, you mean. know, just because of my, like yeah. my mind frame. I feel like I didn't do them justice. You know, like I, I you know, um, you know I there was a, you Anthony Delia. What a great dude. I have his extension. What a great dude. What a great dude. I mean, a uh, bunch of guys. And Craig Calvin was a great dude who believed in the band. You know, all those people were and, and, and Julie and and uh, live. All those people were great, and they really believed in the band. I just, uh, you know, um, and I look back on all of that as very important brushstrokes on yeah, the man, tapestry learning. of our career. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was But crazy. it's intimidating being in this building. And I always will be intimidated by it because I come in here and I'm like, can you make me make music forever? <laughs> That's it. It's a tidal wave of that.
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com. 